0: Welcome to the NBA ben Benchwarmers Podcast, episode 97. The voice you're hearing right now is Rob. We got Ramon in here. We're here to discuss the NBA playoffs. We won't prolong it any longer. We just finished watching the Philadelphia 76ers versus the Atlanta Hawks. It's 9.51 Central Time. In an unlikely matchup, the Hawks have earned the right to face the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. And we've already witnessed game one of the Western Conference Finals with the Phoenix Suns and the LA Clippers, which are two other unlikely matchups that we have right now. I don't know about you, Ramon, but these aren't the matchups that I had penciled in, nor was the matchups that I wanted to see in these conference finals, but let's start off like we always start off, man. What's up, man? How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling good, man. I actually kind of refreshed. Just recently had a vacation
1: and everything, so kind of getting back in the swing of things, uh, you know, recording again, getting kind of ready for the work grind that's coming up. So uh, everything was good with the vacation. I'm just kind of ready to get back at it. You know, we got a lot of stuff that's been going on, a lot of things to, you know, really talk about and cover. And like you said, man, these playoffs have been getting crazy. Um, Nobody, I don't think there's anybody out there that can say they predicted these two matchups that we're seeing right now in the conference finals. Uh, So, yeah, I I won't delay
0: it any longer, man. We can jump right into it. I mean, we could start off by discussing kind of like what we just finished saying, man. We just saw the Hawks advance. Uh, We all knew that Joel Embiid, despite his torn meniscus, has been playing very well. Uh, Mine are tearing his meniscus. He's been able to play, but you could obviously see that he was – that that – leg was bothering him but I applaud him for just fighting through it and playing there and and trying to put his team in a position to advance um we've discussed this before Ramon and I guess we could start here and it just seems as though Ben Simmons the the lack thereof of him being able to shoot and his free throw shooting which has been hard all series it, it's really come to light and he just signed a recently signed a huge contract but we're obviously seeing that you know if you're going to be a superstar and you're going to be the major the main ball handler on a team you have to have some sort of a jump shot you have to have some sort of a threat to shoot and we saw multiple times that whoever is guarding him in the series or in the game whether it's Herder or you know anybody that's guarding him gave him that length of you know gave him that distance to sh- daring him to shoot which he refuses to but not only that is that we saw multiple times during the game, expertly Doc Rivers made an adjustment to file him within that 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 before that two minute mark between that four and two minute mark, sending him to the free throw line. He wasn't able to make any, uh, the majority of the time. But it just seems like he's really become a crutch to that team. And I don't know about you or but I'm just ready to call it right now. Just the same way I called it with Kyle Kuzma. I think at this point in his career. Uh, being in his fifth year uh, quote unquote um, which his first year was a, a shirt year I think that he is who he is at this point and I don't think I think that everybody's ready to crown him and I think he's taken a, a step forward as far as defensive wise and you know he made the first team defensive first all team uh, I'm sorry first team all defense and he was a candidate for defensive player of the year which I felt like he should have gotten but His shooting, man, I think that if he calls himself trying to be a point guard, I think it's no longer cute for him not to be able to shoot and for us to be like, hey, look, oh, he could do everything else. Imagine if Ben Simmons had a shot. I mean, at this point, I think it's just – it's hard and it's ridiculous. And I think that ultimately that's what stopped them – that's the missing thing that stopped them from uh, advancing into these Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, uh, you
1: really covered, man. I don't really have too much to add to that. At this point, uh this was really honestly an embarrassing uh performance and showing from Ben Simmons as as it relates to, like you mentioned, his lack of a jump shot or his lack of shooting ability, period. And um, I think that this if this is not a wake-up call for Ben Simmons. I don't know what will be a wake-up call. You know, we've been saying it year in and year out. And like you said, it's always – we see everything else that's there in the game. And we say year in and year out, like you said, you know, if he just gets a jump shot, what it could be. But what you see is that ultimately when it comes to playoff basketball, teams are going to scheme against that. You know, you can get away and you can float through the regular season with that. But as we've seen in years past, and I won't say this year particularly – But as we've seen in years past, you know, how teams have defended Giannis when it gets to the playoffs. These teams make adjustments and they're going to wall off that lane. They're going to force you to shoot. And if you can't shoot the rock, you put your team at a severe disadvantage. You saw even tonight, basically, he was getting the early, the young Rondo treatment when they were defending him at the free throw line. They were standing back at the free throw line and you basically have an extra defender to be able to, to call the lane and rotate because they know that he can't shoot. And the thing about it too is if, if you're not going to be able to shoot it to the, from the field that well, but at least be respectable from the free throw line, you can't be a guard and be able to get hacked throughout the course of the game. And um, it's going to continue to hold the team back until he takes that next step. Your second best player should not be a liability at the end of the game to a point that you have to literally pull him out of the game to have a chance to win. When you're pulling out your second best player, that's a recipe for disaster. And so Ben has to wake up. And I think that honestly, while he has somewhat of the value that he has, Philly needs to look into shopping Ben this offseason and seeing what they can mm-hmm.
0: get. Yeah, I think that that was a question too in the past year or two. Not only was it time to break up the combination of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid but who would it be and I think it just like you said I think it's it's the answer is not as uh I think it's not as a mystery anymore I think that it, you definitely have to shop in and you know let's talk about the other guy that was missing man we're not letting him off the hook we calling him out Tobias Harris uh, he was very disappointed in this series, and you saw the missing person posters around yeah. Philly that was posted up about Tobias. But I'm not going to steal your thunder. I know I took a lot of, took a lot of your, uh, the Ben take, but, uh, I mean, go ahead on Tobias, man. How disappointed is him? They brought him in as a third man, and, I mean, he didn't show up. And with Ben lack of shooting, he was going to have to be that second scorer that they needed, and they didn't get that from him this series. Yeah, like you like you
1: said, he was relatively non-existent throughout most of the series. He tried to, you know, step up a little bit more in Game 7. He played a little bit better, um, was a little bit more aggressive. But with Ben's lack of offensive ability, Tobias Harris is the one that's supposed to make that gap up. And you have a guy that you're you knowing and you're seeing, like you mentioned, Joel B being hampered you're seeing a guy in Seth Curry that really stepped up and to me played above what, what they envisioned him being when he came to that roster, he almost became the number two scorer basically throughout the duration of the series. And so, like you said, Tobias, he, he didn't step up. He had opportunities. Uh, he had matchups that he could have exploited mismatches and um, he just wasn't to me consistently aggressive enough, but just didn't play well. And, um, And, I mean, I hate to say it, but part of it may be due to Doc Rivers not making some necessary adjustments as well. You know that I've said in the past, I feel that Doc Rivers is overrated as a coach. And um, once again, you know, I know that he can't go to the line and make free throws for Ben Simmons. I know that he can't make jump shots for Ben Simmons. Um, But once again, you see a talented roster that he has, a roster that excelled in the regular season, and you get in the postseason and you flame out in the second round. Um, I don't know if I, know I can you. put
0: that on Doc though, Ramon. Huh? I know that you, I know that you don't. I know that you're not a big, huge fan of Doc, but I don't know if I can put that on him. I, I put it. I put it solely on Ben, bro. I really do. You know, but it, you know, it's like you said, with with Doc, you have a guy that can have a great regular season. And in the postseason, he may fall short, but I think that. I mean, maybe – I guess you can. I mean, maybe game six I would say um, you could put it on him because they was up by 25 and they need their butts kicked. They lost there. The only thing I didn't like about Doc in that particular game was that you're up 25 and it's the end of the third quarter. You take out all your starters. Uh, Lemon Pepper Lou started heating up. Trey started heating up in that in that quarter as well. And you take out all your starters. Then you don't put them back in until like three minutes into the fourth. They still yeah. cooking. And you know how it is with Lou. Like he see the goal, he see the ball. He was a Laker. He see the ball go through the hoop twice, and that guy can go off any time. He's a spark plug. Same thing with Trey, which had a, he had a masterful game in Game Six. He see that ball go through twice or three times. He, that confidence there. It, it all of a sudden they can't miss. So mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I do kind of put that on Doc. I don't know how you felt about that in Game yeah. Six. I, I do kind of put that game.
1: On. I think it was Game Five. I believe it was Game, game Five that okay. it happened. Um, but but what I will say is that even like you mentioned in that instance, and not to get ahead of it, because I have a similar take on, um, dang it, now I'm forgetting his name, Utah's coach at this point, uh, but they had a similar lead. Where the necessary adjustments to stop the bleeding weren't made, we know that the NBA is a game of runs. We know basketball is a game of runs. We we understand that, but there's a point where you have to make adjustments to stop the bleeding in those moments that a 25 point lead doesn't get you know nothing in the NBA right. So so you know that's why I said I'm not in a sense blaming this on Doc as much as I've done in the past. I'm not Uh being as hard on Doc as I've done in the past. Eighty percent of this for me goes to Ben Simmons. Eighty percent goes yeah. okay. to Ben okay. Simmons. Okay, okay, I'm with
0: that. I'm about with
1: that. about ten to fifteen percent goes to Tobias, and Doc gets the rest of it.
0: Okay, all right, that's fair percentages. Yeah, um, I, I think when you, to your point, I, it reminds me of like those Heat years where Coach Spolstra, uh during those LeBron heat Miami years. And they would have a, a specific lead in that thing, and he would see the, the opposing teams go two in a row timeout. Yeah. You know, let, let's stop this. You know, let, hold on, let, let, let's stop this. I don't care if we up 17, 19. You know, we need to stop this run right here. And, you know, I think that that became common sense to them. But in those, in that during that run, I mean, Doc, it's almost like he took the Phil Jackson approach. He's like, let me let my play, my team dig themselves out of this. But I'm like, you know, these are dangerous players that you're playing <laughs> yeah. with. Like, Trey Young is dangerous. He, he, he can score. He can go up anytime. You, you saw it tonight. What, he went, like, two for 20 yeah. tonight? Maybe. A- um, in the
1: beginning. In the beginning. He beginning, yeah. up
0: in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, the guy can heat up at any moment. So, I don't want to play that game with Trey. All the will. But, yeah, either, either way. But let's give the opposing coach some credit. Nate yes. McMillan, what a journey that he had. In losing his uh, head coaching position um, in Indiana, becoming an assistant in Atlanta. They fired Lloyd Pierce, and then he immediately goes into an interim coach, head coach role. And now he finds himself competing with an opportunity to make it to the NBA Finals, Ramon. Quite remarkable. I think that he did a great job in this series with the Philadelphia 76s, mostly strategizing against Ben. Yep. You know, and, and what I said, I think I misspoke early and, I, and said, I think I mixed it up said with Doc, Doc Rivers. But yeah, I said Doc Nate, instead yeah. of, yeah, I meant Nate McMillan, of course. I'm glad I had an opportunity to clean that up. But just his strategy against Ben Simmons and the way he was able to, you know, strategize against that and understand what needs to happen uh, in order for Atlanta to put Atlanta in the best position to win. And on the on the flip side of it, as much as we felt like Doc fumbled in that game five when it was uh up by twenty five points, Nate McMillan, you know, to be able to motivate your team and to have them to keep fighting and to understand their role, uh I think it's quite remarkable, man. I mean, what what you think about Nate McMillan, man?
1: Yeah, no, you really described it perfectly. You know that we've talked off air before and had discussions and said that we didn't understand what Indiana was doing with getting rid of Nate McMillan. That squad and that roster that he was bringing to the playoffs would be hobbled each year and injury riddled in the playoffs. It was never an issue with his coaching. It was simply the personnel there. Um, And so they got rid of him. And of course, like you said, him stepping up with Atlanta and you saw him propel the Hawks to really... In the second half of the season, I think they had like the third best record in the league. Um, and that brought them all the way up to that fifth seed. And, and really, to me, it's been masterful work in both of the first two rounds series. Mm-hmm. He really, to me, outcoached Tibbs the way that he schemed against Julius Randle. You mm-hmm. looked at Randall, the most improved player. A second team, or I think he's second team All NBA, yeah, and basically completely shut Julius Randle down. Yes, yes. Remarkable. And then you look at what he was able to do against Ben Simmons. It's once again truly bringing <laughs> Ben Simmons' weakness to light and exploiting. that.
0: Come, Ben, come to the front of the congregation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, right <laughs> you
1: about to get exposed, brother. Yeah. You about to get exposed. <laughs> and so it's been a, just a masterful job. But the, the biggest thing that I can say that he has done with that team. And people may sound, think it's cliche, but the belief that he's instilled in that team. Atlanta in every series, every game that they play, they believe, like, it's not like they just along for the ride right now. Mm -hmm. They're not just about to go to the Eastern Conference and be happy, finals, and be happy about that. Like, they believe that they're going to win a championship this year. That's how they're thinking in Atlanta, whether we think that or not. And so that's one of, to me, the biggest thing that he's really instilled in this team as well.
0: Yeah, it's quite remarkable. You covered it all. I just want to add in the tidbits that he's basically advanced to the conference finals without a center. So, you know, because I, I mean... Uh,
1: What's his name? With Clint Capella? You oh yeah, like Clint
0: Capella? Capella hasn't really been playing uh, Clint Capella uh, during these playoffs. He's nowhere to be found, but Trey Young, his playoff debut is so many stores within this uh Philadelphia Atlanta Hawks series, man. Just, man, I just say it, man. Yeah. Ice Trey, man. Yeah, ice trade, man.
1: And 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 you see certain guys that just rise to the occasion that's mm-hmm. really built for certain moments. And Trey yeah. Young is that guy. He's yeah. built for it. Uh, yeah. and I, I think that he doesn't get enough credit or the credit that he truly deserves. As an and,
0: undersized guard, first of all. Yeah. And uh you, you hit the nail on the head. His confidence, his moxie, um, his, his the way that he moves on the floor, his leadership is it's just contagious. You know, you could tell the guys around him they love him, they love playing around him. But Trey Young, what is he, what is he, twenty twenty-four? Is he uh, twenty? No, he he 22. 22. I think he's 22. 22 years old is leading a playoff team into the conference finals. Just think about that. We know how difficult that is. We've seen something similar to this maybe with Paul George with the Indiana Pacers when, in his days where he was fighting with LeBron in that Eastern Conference final. But, you know, I, I don't even think he did what he's doing. I mean, uh, what, he, what he had tonight, he, he had like, what, 30? After going two for 20 in the first half, I mean, it's just – He's quite remarkable. He can score at all all levels of the game. Uh, he just – he brings a he brings a, a, a team that has a – he has a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I like watching him play, but I think we've watched two stars, superstars be born in these playoffs, and, well, maybe three. I, I mean, I would give Donovan Mitchell a nod, and, and then, of course, Devin Booker, which we'll get to in a second. But to just wrap up, that Philadelphia-Atlanta series, I mean – I didn't expect Atlanta to pull it off, but they did. And um, I mean, we're going to have to have a serious conversation. We'll get there in a minute about who we feel like is going to win these, who's going to advance in the NBA Finals and who's going to win. But we'll, we'll save that for a second. Uh, we saw a remarkable another game seven last night with the Brooklyn Nets and <laughs> between the Brooklyn Nets and the, um, and the, the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks. And I don't know about you, Ramon, we, we were going to record last night. Uh, I was itching to record, but <laughs> we kind of saved it just so we could have more content to talk about. But I was just itching to get here. I'm going to let you have a Kevin Durant talk because you've been saying it for years, that Kevin Durant is the best player in the world. And now I may believe it, despite the loss. I don't care about the loss. But what he's been able to do in th- Game 5 through Game 7 with Kyrie out I I just, I mean, I'm ready to give him that crown. I was a LeBron guy, uh, but it's time to talk about Kevin Durant and his arrival uh, and his performance. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Kevin Durant, you know that I've been saying it basically since 2019 is when I feel that he really grabbed that throne. And I looked at him and said, you know, it it was really an eye test for me that that is the best player that I see in the game. I still remember him being hobbled and being basically 70% and coming in and playing that, that game against um, uh, Kawhi and the Raptors and still being the best player on the floor, being at 70% with Kawhi being there. And just what he was able to do in, in this series was unbelievable. You know, we talk about the game five, that was a game for ages, the 49, 17, and 10 that he dropped and playing every single minute. But then the masterpiece that he came back with in game seven um, with the 48, uh, 9, and 6 the most points that have ever been scored in the game seven. Also him catapulting his average to the highest point per game average in game sevens in league history. Um, And you really just seeing that the guy is just unreal, unstoppable. You haven't seen a player really recover from that Achilles injury in the way that he's recovered. You know, they may bring up the Dominique Wilkins from, from years ago, but outside of that, guys just don't recover from that injury the way that Kevin Durant has recovered from that injury. And he just can score at every single level. There's, there's nothing that you can do to stop him. Um, mm-hmm. He's the best player in the world and literally almost willed that team literally inches away from mm-hmm. willing that team to a game seven victory, you know? So like you said, they ultimately didn't win, didn't get it done hats off to the Bucks for staying in there for fighting and all of that but that still does not change my mind that Kevin Durant is the best player in the world.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think that when uh, Kyrie went down, I thought that the Nets still had a chance because of Kevin Durant. But. You know, you think about James Harden. James Harden was a, was basically a fraction of himself, and I thought he was masterful even then. He figured out a way to play on a a, a strained hamstring and be effective. brother it was that first game, which was very ugly on his part, but just the fact that he was able to be a decoy. What was that, game five? Game was five, yeah. And, you know, just his presence out there. And you really saw what type of basketball mind he had is just to be effective in the – the passes that he was able to make and you saw in game six he was him he was pretty much you know he was what you needed you know I think he had ended the game like 19 7 and 8 or something like that but and in this this past game seven you know he he was he was decent but you know he wasn't able to explode he wasn't able to lead the break but even despite that Kevin Durant was able to figure it out and he was the constant denominator and like you said just like he said it was like it, because I have a big foot I was inches away <laughs> from making it to the conference finals and you know t- hats out to the Bucks; we give them give them cre- decent credit but I, I think I joked with you um I don't know if I joked with you I joked with someone I said if the Bucks cannot beat this Brooklyn Nets that team that's hobbled like this then they just might as they may as well dismantle the whole ro- entire right. roster and they was able to do they did what they were supposed to do I still wasn't impressed with the Bucks. I hadn't been impressed with them in our playoffs but of course it's the Eastern Conference I feel like they just were kind of you know they're just kind of inching along they're doing what needs to be done uh but ultimately what we're facing the reality of is that Giannis could potentially have his first championship um I don't I'm not r I am not i do not think Atlanta's gonna beat the Bucs. Um I'll be highly surprised if they do. But I think that this this may be the game this may be the series, just especially because again, Giannis was very, very uh exposed and, and as far as his free throw shooting ability. Uh they still was daring him to shoot. It didn't work. The Bucs didn't have success until Giannis almost abandoned that jump shot and tried to drive and play bully ball, but you know, you you saw it with the Nets. They, I mean, they did. I think Nash did a a pretty masterful job in strategizing against Giannis. Um, but I mean, like I said, I mean, we we potentially may see a Bucks in this finals, and we may potentially see Bucks winning a championship.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with you there. Uh, not getting ahead of it, but I I really see it the same way that you see it. And still, hats off to Giannis figuring out a way to to ultimately get it done you know, having a 40 point, I think 13 rebounds, seven assists, you know, right. game seven, that's still a monster performance, you know, with the amount of minutes he played, you could see that he was gassed. Like he was gassed. And, and when you're a guy that drives as much as Giannis drives to play those amount of minutes, that takes a lot out of you, you know, yeah. that, that expels a lot of energy. Um, So hats off to them for getting it done. You know, I hate to give a back ended Compliment in a sense, and say I really don't believe that they would have gotten it done had Brooklyn been healthy. No, um,
0: nobody was beating Brooklyn healthy. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I had that debate with somebody offline uh last night as well because he had a take before Brooklyn assembled or or when they first assembled that they wouldn't make it out of the second round, even though he walked back on that later on. That's a whole nother thing. But I was trying to explain to him that like if Brooklyn was fully healthy, they were beating. The Bucks, like yeah. if James Harden were eighty beating that
0: on toe beating somebody's face in. Yeah, <laughs> if, <laughs> if
1: if if James Harden was just eighty percent, you got to realize that injury that James Harden said like had, like you said, it was supposed to be four to eight weeks of him coming back. Mm-hmm. He came back in like ten days. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have really been playing, but like no. you said, his presence was a decoy enough. But won't get into it too much um like we said kevin durant best player in the world bucks they did find a way they kept fighting even drew holiday with his terrible shooting performance came up big in the fourth quarter and in overtime um Mm -hmm. so hats off to them middleton made a big shot down the stretch as he typically does i don't know what brooke lopez was thinking on that inbound right at the end of the game um but hats off to them and ultimately i do think that they'll end up getting to the nba finals now
0: yeah i do um what, what you thought about – what were your thoughts on the Brooklyn crowd counting down the uh, Giannis yeah. free throw count?
1: <laughs> so, I thought that it was funny at first, and I thought that they kind of got in his head a little bit. Oh, they but definitely then, but It then, started all motivating of a sudden, them. He, yeah, he <laughs> yeah. got in a rhythm from yeah. the count. And after yeah. a while, I was like, okay, now the crowd need to actually be yeah. quiet and just let him yeah. shoot. Yeah, they, shoot they had stopped.
0: Silence. They had stopped, like, after a while when he started making them – I you know, but it's like with any superstar that has some c- competitive edge, which we know Giannis does, he's he gonna get pissed off and yeah, like it's gonna motivate him. Um, but yeah, let, let, you know, ironically, we talk about the James Harden injury. We saw Kyrie go down with an ankle injury. Um, we, we we're gonna back up another night and we saw the Suns finish the Jazz. Um, Donovan Mitchell was hobbled. Uh, Clippers finished the Jazz. Clippers I'm sorry, what did I said? <laughs> you said the Suns. is all good. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the Clippers finished the Jazz and we saw Donovan Mitchell hobble, of course. We saw Chris Paul is in COVID protocol. We can lump that in there. We see Kawhi down with a knee injury which I'm feeling like he may not come back this season. Um it it this playoffs uh we we seeing so many injuries here, man. Uh it's been ridiculous uh to see uh, of course, we saw Anthony Davis go down, um, which I feel like if we was fully healthy, we probably would be in the conference finals right now. LeBron with the ankle injury, yeah, bro. We just uh, we, we we saw we talked to Embiid with his knee injury. So many injuries to superstars. Uh, what can we make of this, man? Yeah, uh, I, I believe
1: you know what we can make of it, man. We know that that shortened <laughs> off season. Is yeah. really what has contributed to this. And what I will say is overall, you know, we know the, the tweet that LeBron had because we know LeBron spoke out on this and said, you yeah. know, what he said and what he told the league. He which went is something, ham. <laughs> right, which is something that we all agree with. That's something that we all believe. Now, what I will still say is understanding the business ramifications of it. The league had to do what they had to do because, in a sense, the players didn't want to give back money but then they also don't want to play and start the season. It's it's like you almost can't have both. Either (laughs) you decide as players, you're going to focus on y'all safety as players and lose some money, or you're going to gain the money and y'all safety is going to be in jeopardy. And so I understand that a decision had to be made. Did that, in fact, impact these teams? You look at the four conference finalists from last year, the four conference finals in Boston, Miami in the Eastern Conference, both of them flame out in the first round. Both injury riddled, had problems the entire season. You look at the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets, both of them injury problems have flamed out of the playoffs. And so it, where there's smoke, there's fire. We understand that that shortened offseason was not enough rest for those teams. And it has impacted these playoffs in a great way. These are not the playoffs that we expected to see. These are not the matchups that we expected to see. And we've seen too many stars sidelined in the biggest moments, in the biggest games of the season. So it's been a tough pill to swallow, but it's one of those things where it was either or either you take a cut or you got to deal with these um, player safety issues.
0: I have nothing to add there, man. I think you knocked it out of the park. We, We can really move on from there. Um, but I don't feel like it's 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 any irony just to add on put a cherry on the top. I don't think it's any. I don't think it's ironic that the top two teams, the Miami Heat, the Lakers, who were in the NBA Finals last year, are nowhere to be found in the playoffs this year. And you know those were the last two teams to play, and they only had like a month and a half or two before the season started. So it, it is pretty ridiculous. Um, um, I think that it, it, you know, but it had to be done, like you said. Uh, one quick point, man. How, how did you like how much? How did you, how much did you enjoy on a scale of one to ten? PJ Tucker supposed to be the supreme macho macho defender, but getting roasted by KD every time <laughs> down the floor yeah (laughs) why was he relevant like (laughs) it's it's nothing
1: that that he can do to, to really check and defend Kevin Durant all he could do was somewhat be physical but they even had like a meme circulating I may have to send it to you later that was like a joke going around about P.J. Tucker being a Durant stopper and he makes a joke about asking Durant to stop and Durant's like no It just leaves it at that, but I'll have to send it to you. But, I mean, there was no chance for him to have, uh, uh, you know, a realistic shot at stopping KD. Uh, I did feel that even on, like, that last possession, you know, in regulation, that shot right there, really, Giannis should have been going. No, well, that's in overtime. But the one in regulation, Yannis should have stepped up and guarded KD in that final possession right there. P.J. Tucker is, what, 6'5"? Yeah, And Kevin Durant is 6'11", 7 feet with, like, a ridiculous wingspan that every time yeah. he shoots over the top of P.J. Tucker, he's, like, seven or eight inches higher
0: than P.J. Yeah. Tucker's contest. So, so he, basically, KD just having shooting practice out there. Pretty much. Dude, pretty <laughs> it's much. nothing you can do to affect his shot. Um, yeah, I just wanted to have a little fun with that one. But as we saw uh, Thursday and Friday, the NBA hasn't been lack of news here. We've had a lot of coaches lose their job. Uh, Stan Van Gunney has lost his job. Rick Carlisle, he mutually agreed to yeah. part ways. That's the new, that's the nice way of saying a coach got fired, maybe. Yeah. Um, um. But it's just been a mess, man. It's just, you've just seen a a, a go around. You've even seen a, a Coach Brooks, who I've never really been a fan of a coach with the Wizards, is on his way out as well. So you have some pretty interesting coaching vacancies that are here. I'm going to ask you, as we always do, who should fill them. But before we get started, I think Dallas would be a great way to start because they just have had a lot of issues um, with the GM leaving out the door, walking out the door. Then you have Rick Carlisle, who's an excellent coach, in my opinion, um, walk out the door after 13 years, a guy that has pretty much could write his ticket um, pretty much of how he would exit. Um, I think he could have retired a math and, and all he's done. Uh, great coach. He's done a lot with the Little. We saw how the Mavs performed in the playoffs. They they had no business having the success that they had this year in the playoffs. Um, but ultimately, you know, to, in taking the Clippers to game seven. Um, but here we are, man. And and I think that it's just a mess that and you hear rumors about Luka, that Luka may be getting a little anxious there. And we know historically his family is the ones that speak for him. I think his brother, more famously in the past, have spoken out uh, for for Luca. But you know what is what is Dallas doing out there, and, and what does Mark Cuban have to do to get things together? Because it's looking it's looking pretty pretty meek out there in Dallas.
1: Yeah, I think for Dallas, uh, they're going to have to basically consult with Luca in a in a sense, see what Luca wants. <laughs> Take him out to dinner, figure um, it out. <laughs> yes, because, of course, you know, it was mentioned that he was upset by, you know, Don Nelson being let go. Now Rick Carlisle is out of the door, as you already mentioned. And Luca is up to, you know, be able to sign that $200 million extension this offseason. And so, like you said, um, Mark Cuban is going to have to get in a room with Luca, convince him that this is the place to be long term. Is Luca going to sign that extension? Yes. No, yeah. no one that comes off a Ricky contract doesn't sign that first extension. Yeah. <laughs> that happens with everyone. But he really needs to consult with Luca as they're going through this process and make sure that Luca is 100% bought in. Their biggest issue to me that has happened is that Chris Stapp's Porzingis hasn't been who they thought he was going to be. Yeah. And yeah. that's what has kind of caused the, the franchise to take a little bit of a step back. Because, you know, when we talked about that pairing first getting together, we looked at that pairing, and I'll say me particularly, definitely, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but look at that pairing as this is one of the, the good up-and-coming young pairings that could be yeah, a with force yeah. with, for years to come. And Porzingis' health – has really caused him to decline as a player. And now Luka doesn't have that really good second option that he can really rely on. And like you said, too much of the weight is on his shoulders. So this coaching search is going to be pivotal. How they feel that front office position is going to be pivotal and how they figure out a way to get Luka a true bona fide number two option there is extremely important for that franchise going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but historically – Mark Cuban is a great leader. Uh, Dallas is not known to have these types of issues or yep. for the franchise to be disarray in disarray, no matter how poor the team is performing. And the team has been pretty, pretty average, pretty a little above average in recent years. Uh, they hadn't really had a run um, that was special, like that 2011 run where Dirk was playing out of his freaking mind yep. and had just practically won that by himself. Uh, but you know, you know, Mark is a great leader. You know, he's 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 a billionaire for a reason. He knows his business. He has business presence. So, um, I, I'm I'm confident that he'll get things back together. But it's just not really uh, common to see Dallas in this type of uh, disarray that they are in. Um, I I will say that Chris Stapps has has a lot of health issues. Um, whatever values that that's left in him, the uh, same with Ben, I think. Uh, they're in the same boat is that they, they got to try to get as much as they can for him, which I don't know how much you can get for Chris Topps at this point in his career, but whatever you can get, you, you have to get. And I think that that will show Luca that you are serious about really getting him some, some help around him. Cause I think that it's a, it's a pretty decent built roster. Yeah. Um, I think they have a lot of, um, a lot of role players that I really respect. Um, um, Dorian, uh, with uh, Dorian Smith. yeah Finney Smith um, um and uh those guys I think that they are uh, great pieces that that can Jalen be built Brunson, around yeah Jalen Bronson yeah just the list goes on so uh we'll, we'll see what's going on f- going forward man um the Pelicans let's go with Stan Van Gundy I felt like he never should have been hired in the first place but here we are man uh, I mean Griffin means business after first the first season, he didn't like what he saw, and, and he gave him an uh, early exit out of there. I don't. I think that I I felt like it needed to happen, but it was one of those things of just watching a team and being like, okay, that guy's got to go. But how often do you see after the first season? You may see this in baseball more often, maybe than than basketball, where a coach after the first season just just gets the boot like this.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. I, I just think that it wasn't a fit. Um, he doesn't, to me, Stan Van Gundy doesn't fit with this new generation um, and doesn't really relate to those players well. The way that he, you know, and I'm not going to say whether he's right or wrong for the way that he approaches things, but the kind of the public calling out of certain players, of publicly calling out your team in the media and all that, that doesn't work for this generation that's coming up right now. Um, And like you said, the fit just wasn't always natural there. And they're in a situation as well where you have young talent that you need that young talent to buy in to you as an organization, specifically Zion Williamson. You know, it's been discussed that he's unhappy there right now. And so once again, I mean, anybody's going to sign that rookie extension. So he's not going to be leaving for several more years to come. But you have to figure out a way to make sure that when that time comes around that you don't have another Anthony Davis situation. That team is too talented right now to still not be making the playoffs or to be that many games away from being in the playoffs. To not even make it to the play-in games, that's ridiculous. Like It's too much talent to not make it to the play-in games. You have a legit one-two punch in Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. You have guys like Lonzo who's had his best season, you know, as a pro who's been coming along more often starting surrounding pieces that are still there. And so uh, there's no reason for them to not be taking a step forward. And it seems like every season, honestly, recently that we've talked about the Pelicans, we come into the season kind of hyped up for them. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is the year, this is where they're going to take the step. And then they don't take the step and we're disappointed again. So uh, this this hire is going to be extremely important for the future of that organization, and hopefully, keeping that organization in New Orleans.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, what more can I say? I mean, it it, it was a uh, a move that needed to be made. I think that Griffin feels as though he's trying to prolong his seat too, because he yes. may be on the hot seat. Uh, yes. I, don't, I don't. I mean, I feel like he's one of the best, better GMs in our league, but. You know, I think that he feeling that he pressure too. Uh, but I mean, you think about it uh, in that front office, it goes, the GM and the head coach go hand in hand. So that was a difficult decision for Griffin to make regardless of the team's success, but he's showing that he's willing to do whatever it takes to get this team where it needs to be to Zion. You scared on it, man. You touched on it a little bit and we'll discuss it here. Zion, like you said, it's been reported that he's unhappy as well as his family is trying to ruffle some feathers there. Um, Personally, I get my thoughts on it. I feel some type of way about it. I mean, the, the kid is just – he's entering his third season. There's a lot of things that he needs to work on on his game. Not to say that he's not great because he's really, really good. He's excellent. We see the, the potential talent that he has. But, you know, hey, look, what about your jump shot? What that's looking like? You know, your, your decision-making out there from lack of experience. I mean, I think that this may be the birth of the beginning of these guys. I mean, we've seen it historically so far in the past couple of years of guys pushing their way out of franchises, but Anthony Davis had accomplished a lot. He has proven a lot. He gave the franchise seven years before he started doing his thing. So his Kawhi gave him, gave the Spurs about six, seven years before he was ready to leave out of there. I mean, with Zion, you you see that he's very humble kid. You know, it don't seem like he'll. You know, we we saw him. I jokingly said in the press conference, "My daddy taught me not to not to argue with the refs. He taught me just to play the game." And then you see, like down the stretch and <laughs> late late in the season, he's arguing with referees. I'm like, right, you know, right. when he said that, I was like, okay, we'll see how long that lasts. Right. But it just seems like it's just too soon for this guy in his third year to be <clears throat> making complaints, especially in a in a sense in a in a situation where, where Stan that gun put the ball in your hands. he ran off and through you uh despite Brandon Ingram being there and, and you know I just don't understand these young guys here. I just feel like his family is getting a little ahead of themselves here no, i one hundred percent
1: agree with you there uh when you come into the league and you're that high profile of a talent. Uh you're supposed to come into a situation that isn't the best situation, right? right. <laughs> That's why those teams have those high picks. So you should be expecting that to happen. Um and so honestly, like you were saying, I mean, he just needs to see this time through. You're going to be there for several more years. Uh, whether you like it or not, if you decide that you don't take the extension, which all the rookies, the ones on the rookie deal take that extension. But if you don't, you go into restrictive free agency. What do you think is going to happen in restrictive free agency? They're going to match anything that's out there for you. So there's no way for several more years for you to force your way out of there. So you kind of have to deal with what's going on there. They have a second guy that's there for you right now, who is an all-star caliber player, so you have a solid foundation there. There's just a few other things that need to be figured out. You need to make the right coach and hire. You need to get another piece here or there. But he's in a better position than what most guys who are number one picks that come out typically Mm -hmm. are in. So it's like you got to kind of chill for a little bit of a second and and let things kind of work themselves out a little bit more and not be so antsy. Like you were saying, he's just going into his third season. His first season was basically a red shirt. He didn't play that many games. He played like 20 games. And then he finally had one full season. And now you're acting this way or sending these kind of messages I can't really get with that when yeah. you first came into New Orleans, like you were taking the throne from Drew Brees and that now you were yeah. the guy of the city, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, I dang. don't
0: think you guys want to be in New Orleans. I think that's simple to put it. We get it. It's not the it has excellent cuisine. Wait a minute. I'm not going to do that to Louisiana. It has excellent <laughs> cuisine. It's a beautiful city. But, I mean, we're not talking about L.A. We're not talking about yep. Miami. But, I mean, you look at Damian Lillard, which we're going to get to in a second because they have a coaching vacancy there in Portland. He's been there. You know, he don't see it seems like he's he's getting a little antsy. But he gave the franchise what eight, nine years? Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. about time for him to be a little anxious there. Um, but yeah, I, I do I think he's jumping the gun. And I just hate, you know, because Zion just seems like a very humble guy. You know, yeah. I don't know the guy, I never met him, but it, I think anybody would agree with me just through press conferences, through interviews, how humble he is. So I think it's more so his family than anything, but it's like, man, you know, let's just chill. Let's just see where this is going first before we start uh, t- start kicking up dust and stuff. But, like, yeah, Portland. Portland saw Coach Stotts, which we ex- anticipated that if they didn't make it to the conference finals, then they, he would get the boot. He's out of there. I don't think Damian Lillard feels any type of way about it. He, he, he wrote a, a very beautiful uh, soliloquy on his Instagram about his coach. But outside of that, uh, just him saying that he wanted Jason Kidd to be the coach and then Jason Kidd just pulls his name out of the hat, that I thought that was kind of weird there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that ultimately they have to get Dame. I think if they don't get Dame, they should be talking to Dame every day and seeing which coach he wants. I think Dame should be in the interview when, they, yes. <laughs> when they're interviewing these coaches because yes. I feel like that's the only chance that Damian Lillard doesn't find himself hopefully maybe in a Lakers jersey, but uh, somewhere else there, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, with that situation, you know, we've talked – they have to blow that up. Uh, When you get beat by a Denver Nuggets team who didn't have their second best player, a Nuggets team that ends up getting swept by the Phoenix Suns after that, that just shows how far you are away. Um, And so they have to blow that up. And I think they're in a position where – uh, they just better hope that Dane doesn't get to the point of truly demanding a trade. We saw we talked about the Instagram post also that he had about mm-hmm. pretty much of how much should he be continue to be loyal or something along those lines. Yeah.
0: And so
1: it it showed his mentality there that some things are kind of shifting. And I was saying that, you know, I don't know what Ben's trade value is at this point but if I'm Daryl Morey yeah. if I'm Daryl Morey I'm calling Portland and saying what do you want outside of Joel and B what do you want outside of Joel and I'm trying to get Dame over there and I mean him you up look
0: you look at Joel getting a quick a hot 40 points 13 rebounds on one leg yeah. I mean the dude is sensational man he's amazing yeah. amazing talent you you Tag that amazing talent with Dame and and, and B. Ooh. Crazy. Yeah, that crazy. Be, and then being coached by Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, that probably might be the most talented combo he's ever coached. Yeah, I'm throwing shots at the Clippers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, right. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, Dame has been very loyal to that franchise, so I think that he should have a say in who his next coach should be. I'm not sure why uh, Jason Kidd pulled his name out of the hat. I'm not quite sure. I don't know why he did or why that happened. But, you know, that's that's not Portland's fault. Uh, I'm pretty sure they would have gave uh, Jason Kidd a, an interview if he still was in the running. Um, but that that's a situation to look at. Um, another situation, care coaching vacancy, I don't think we got to discuss and then we'll move on to who we, who's out there to fill some of these vacancies. Uh, there's only two guys in my mind that I think deserves a job in this spot. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but Boston, we saw a shift in Boston. We saw Coach Bradley move into the president president of basketball operation, which was the weirdest thing, and left the head coaching vacancy. And the first move that he does is trade Kimball Walker. Yeah. Kimball Walker and some picks uh, for Al Hoffer, which we know is just uh, probably was just a, 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 a salary cap. Yeah. Uh, salary cap uh, type move Dumb, To just free up some some space In the cap but then we also Find out some reports that there was tension In their locker room and Kimba Walker Surprisingly Was the root of the problem And uh, they, they're saying that him And Bradley had some issues so That was interesting as well
1: Yeah uh, first of all We, we just got to talk about it for a second I just don't understand how You can underachieve and get promoted I, yeah. That, that essentially that's what happened. Yeah. Yes. That doesn't happen in any sector of working, whether it's, you know, corporate America, whatever your job situation is, you don't underachieve and get promoted. And that's what happened with Brad Stevens. Um, I won't get into it too long, but there's a little bit of privilege there. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, it's definitely um, some privilege. Yeah. 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 yeah Stephen um, A,
0: Stephen A was fired up with the <laughs> body. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was already ridiculous. But like you said, that move came out of nowhere and shocked me from the standpoint of, you don't really see moves being made too often while the playoffs are still going on. Like normally the season ends and then you see teams prior to the draft, they start kind of making little moves here and there. So it kind of came out of nowhere, but honestly too, uh, Kimba has a lot to show after this year to really show if he's not watched. Like, yeah, he's looking a little washed
0: to me. I, I think he should do it in L.A. Yeah, hey,
1: I, <laughs> hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it for him to hey, come and be a third hey, we, option.
0: We always trading and signing injury prone players. Why not <laughs> sign Kimba? <laughs> yeah,
1: but he was, he was looking, he wasn't looking Kimba esque. No. Uh, I think he was
0: playing hurt for the majority yeah. of the season to his defense. Um, and when we saw him explode, he was healthy, you know. So you're uh, right; he has a lot to show. Um I don't know how much of a conflict of interest it is having a former head coach because being the president of basketball operations, because every move that's made, you really see how he felt about his roster. So this whole time he was coaching Kimba and you didn't want him on the team, is that what right. that means? Right. You know, so it, it is weird there. Um you got some guys, uh Jason Tatum and, and Brown alike. I mean, basically you're gonna have to please these guys to stop them from going elsewhere which I wouldn't – I wouldn't think – I would imagine that they're very frustrated because you've seen a lot of – they've been in the playoffs almost every year for the past four or five years and has had early exits. So, it's, I, I can imagine that getting very frustrated. So, um, it you know, with Tatum and, and Brown, they have a, a great foundation. They just got to build their roster out. And I'm interested to see what, what Brad Stevens – what his thoughts are on this roster. I mean, what he's going to do.
1: And, and the thing about it is we know that for years, the Celtics were in one of the best positions from an asset standpoint. Yeah, they And were. those assets are running dry now. You've seen that team go from probably one of the deepest in the league to really being depleted and not deep at all. You've seen too many guys get out of the door. Kyrie leaving, Gordon Hayward getting out of there. You, you know, you finally – somewhat get Al Horford back but he's
0: not the Horford that you used to no, have. Not, um no. and so I think see, Moses Brown was the most interesting piece in that. Uh, Moses Brown is 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 pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's pretty good and and he's young. He's super young. Um but with that with that roster, it, they have a lot of work to do, man. They 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 have a lot of work to do there. Uh um so I mean, I think those are the moves. Uh I think some candidates that I would like to see get a shot, man. It's Mark Jackson, man. I'm yeah. beating a dead horse, but I would yeah. love to see him get back on out there, uh, out there, and and um, and do something about it. You know, do something and get another shot. I think that if I, I feel like Ramon, if it don't happen this season, him getting a job, he's not gonna get a job. Yeah, yeah. Because I you. It, you know, it, with these vacancies, like especially in New Orleans, that would be the perfect team for him. That would be the the excellent landing spot for him. It's a small market. There's not many expectations. You want somebody experienced. I think he would demand respect of the younger guys. Um, I, I think that that's where that's where it, it, you know where he would need to land there. And you know, and then you got Rick Carlisle. I think he'll end up in Boston.
1: Yeah, I, that that seems like a natural fit there. Definitely, he he is a Boston type of guy. Uh-huh. So that does seem like a natural fit there. I agree with you. Yeah. So those are my guys. Uh, yeah. I think. That. I think. One other name that I would mention um, who hasn't – who seemed like he's kind of gotten a shot at other times and then has turned down some gigs um, is Chauncey Billups. Uh, I I believe that Chauncey Billups could be a a very good head coach in this league uh, just from seeing what he produced as a player, how cerebral he was as a player, um, seeing how deadly he was with that Detroit Pistons team that we saw firsthand – um, he's another guy that I would throw out there to see. Um, and hopefully he could get a chance or a shot at one of these gigs.
0: Do you think it's the first time we might see a woman uh, be a head coach? I mean, you got Becky Hammond out there, uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, who's already an assistant in New Orleans. What what wonderful story would that be for her to transition into that head coach coaching spot there? Uh, do you think it's too soon for that? Or you feel like that we may potentially see that? Is that a good shot?
1: Um, so I won't say, I don't think that it's too soon. Um, I, I don't think that it'll happen just being, you know, completely transparent right now. Um, I don't think that it'll happen this off season. Um, but I wouldn't say it's too soon. Like, I mean, you saw Becky Hammond step in when pop was out for some time, um, and feel that role and, you know, and, and, you know, feel that role well. So, um, I believe you. You mentioned the top two ones that will be out there that will be up for a position. Um, I don't think that we'll see it happen this offseason, season, but I think that we'll see it. You know, in the next few years, but I don't think that it's too soon. Um, we just have to see whether or not you know it's going to happen and play. Yeah, I,
0: yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that there are a couple of guys uh, that are out there. Um, are there any? I don't think there's any college coaches that may vibe for this spot um that I can think of um and I know that that college basketball we could take a moment to kind of um shift because I did hear some rumblings that Calipari is looking to get back into the NBA here uh we've seen your guy uh which we didn't talk about coach K is uh retiring and then we saw North Carolina University, North Carolina coaches and ironically these are three of the coaches that uh, outside of Calipari that were truly against one and done. Um, they're truly against the makeup of this, of I guess this era where, where now you haven't, not only guys can leave when they are 18, but they can um, opt out of college, go straight to the G league, or they can sign overseas, which you've seen a bunch of times happen. But I think Coach K and, and the others are, are getting to the point where they're tighter the college basketball scope because so much talent is going to bypass college basketball and go straight pro, go straight to the pros but i don't i don't get why it's such a big deal now because i mean in lebron's era in kobe's era you could you, you, when you turned 18 you could either go straight to the nba and into your name to the draft or you could go play college basketball so i don't understand the difference there but that's neither here nor there with, with calipari and all these uh, great coaches uh trying to get out of their college scheme what do you think is the driving factor there um i
1: think at the end of the day it's um some things honestly after a while become a young man's game and i think that recruiting is one of those things that you know even from a college basketball sense um as it relates to relating to those athletes and and doing the the being on the grind to to recruit year in and year out you know like your job doesn't stop at the end of the season. Like you're recruiting all off season. And I think that that weighs heavily um, on mm. those head coaches and you're starting to see other guys that are coming in, you know, like Penny Hardaway coming in and, you know, his presence has been a former NBA player and relating to some of these guys. He's able to start now getting these higher profile recruits. So whereas a coach K started to change his strategy and went away from having the guys that were going to be there three and four years to, you know, adapting to these one and dones. But when you have a guy like a Penny Hardaway or some of these other young up and comers that start to now start handpicking these guys and having better recruiting classes than you, then you can't sustain the program that you're used to and accustomed to sustaining. So um, I think that that part of that plays into it. And like you were just talking about just the overall frustration with, with how things are, with the mindset of these athletes that they're coming out, these guys just think differently. And it's they yeah. just the scope can be kind of annoying if you really think about yeah. it at times. Like, yeah. if you have an old-school mentality, you're not going to get with the way that these young guys think now. So yeah. after a while, it becomes frustrating. <laughs>
0: imagine Coach K being on TikTok trying to get some of these <laughs> yeah. younger guys. Right. <laughs> but right. uh, what I was going to say, though, uh, in regards to this topic – is that let's call it what it is, Ramon. A lot of these guys think they better than what they really are. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it year after year. I mean, look at Andrew Wiggins and the trajectory of his career. Look at Jabari Parker, you know, the trajectory of his career. You know, you look at at uh the the monk guy out of Kentucky, you know, and then, you know, I just named you four top recruits that were you know, outside of Monk, but, you know, Monk, even though he was highly recruited, but Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins, he's supposed to be where Trey Young is right now. <laughs> you know, these were guys, Jabari Parker, I remember when he first came out, they said he was the second coming of Carmelo Anthony. So, I mean, when you look at these guys here and them thinking that they're better than what it is, and we always use the uh, example of Austin Rivers as well who was highly recruited. I I think I even asked you the question. I was like, why did Austin even jet out? And you said it was the hype. A lot of these guys think they are better than what they are. And I think that they, what they understand that they would just stay another year and not just be so eager to get to the NBA because everybody's not Zion Williams. And I think what we've saw as well is, uh, oh boy, his teammate ironically who went to the Knicks. Yeah. You're talking about RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett could have probably stayed another year, you know? So, I, I do think that a lot of these guys think they are better than what they are, and that, you know, all they doing is running their own career. I think you know because I think we'll never see Andrew Wiggins lead a team. We'll never see Jabari Parker, of course, lead a team. You know, they, you know, it's just some some of these guys they just him way too early.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that as a whole. I got to give my boy, my guy Jabari, a little bit more of a pass because I really think that a lot of his was his injury situations. Um, but I do agree that that's the mentality that you see as a whole. And it's not just even a mentality for college basketball. Like, you see the same, honestly, with college football as well. I know that they are uh, kind of forced and mandated to stay three years, but you have the guys even there that in their mind they determine that, hey, before they step foot on campus, it's three years and I'm out of here. So, you know, whether or not they've achieved and lived up to the hype They've already determined before they step foot on campus that from a basketball perspective, I'm a one and done for a football perspective. I'm three years and I'm out of here. And a lot of times you can't change their mind when it comes to that. So um, like you were saying, you know, a lot of these guys think that they're better than what they are and they let the hype get to them that, you know, prior to them ever stepping foot on campus. All they've ever heard is that they're a one and done talent, you know, and so they just kind of see it through and, and just go with the flow with that.
0: Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. So for time purposes, we're going to go ahead and jump back into the NBA. We never really left, but we've had some great conversations that have come from the NBA, even to find ourselves in college basketball. I love it, but we got to get to it, man. They're waiting on it. We're going to go ahead and give our conference finals predictions as well as our NBA finals predictions, um, that we think for the rest of the playoffs. Of course we mentioned we got the Suns, and we have the, uh, the Suns and the uh, Clippers. help me out here, Clippers. The Suns and the Clippers, and we got the Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who you got, man? How many games? Let's start off in the Eastern Conference Finals with the Hawks and the Bucks. How many games you think? Uh, I'm gonna take Bucks in six. Okay, okay. I'm gonna go. I know this is weird because I'm definitely gonna take the Bucks and the gentlemen sweep here.
1: Gentlemen sweep. Yeah, I'm
0: gonna take your gentleman's sweep here, man. I'm gonna take the Bucks in your gentleman's sweep. Let's flip over to the Western Conference. We got the Clippers and the Suns here, which is an interesting, interesting uh, series to say the least. We, especially with Chris Paul and COVID protocol, we probably won't see him to Game Three. I'm, I'm just guessing here. Yeah. What, what, what you got here?
1: That's the thing. This series, as you mentioned, is so difficult to call because you don't know. When Chris Paul will be available, you don't know if Kawhi Leonard will be available. Um, so it's so difficult to call as it stands, as things currently are. I'm going to say Suns in seven, mm-hmm. but this this series is just so many different dynamics, and when you have each team's best player, um, uh, well, uh, Phoenix that's debatable because book. Yeah. I mean <laughs> the best probably... basketball mind maybe. Yeah. But the, the biggest <laughs> let me just say the biggest presence on each team. Yeah. Um when you have the biggest presence on each team missing it's really kind of hard to gauge, but I'm still going to go Suns in 7.
0: Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to go Suns in 7 as well, man. I I think that it, this this series I could not I don't see it not going into 7. Hopefully Kawhi does get back because it's it wouldn't be fun without the st- superstars and Chris Paul get back wishing him well as well as he's going through COVID protocols. But yeah, I think the Suns and seven man, and um, I think we'll have an NBA Finals that has the Suns and the Bucks man. That is such it's a weird yeah man. Like what? <laughs> who saw this man? Nobody. If Nobody. this happens, <laughs> if this happens the way it happens, um. I'm going I'm to defer to you, man. I don't know, man. Sons and butts, I need some time to let this marinate for a second.
1: Yeah, I feel like ultimately it's kind of early to jump the gun on making a prediction for this. If I have yeah. to, I, I will go ahead You Do and you want to
0: table that. this? I won't do I, it, too. I, I, yeah. Um, Let's table it.
1: Yeah, just because it, it's so right. many different dynamics. And the playoffs have been changing so rapidly every yeah. series. So it's like it, it's kind of difficult to Yeah, table let's table it. Yeah,
0: I don't know. Suns Bucks, I don't know. I don't think that's anything any any NBA fan would have imagined outside of the books and the Suns. So Can you yeah, imagine we'll leave the ratings
1: there. for that? Can you imagine the ratings?
0: Hey, I think I yeah, I definitely I have, that's definitely some background uh background noise while you clean <laughs> right. the kitchen type game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, so we're wrapping up, man. It's great, great episode, great, great episode. We appreciate everyone for hanging with us this long. Of course, as we always say, make sure that you are following us on on Bench on Twitter and Instagram, and make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast or p Bench on your favorite platform, and we'll be here all NBA playoffs still. We'll continue to be here. We'll continue to cover it. We'll continue to give you con- the content that you seek. Me and Ramon are going to get on out of here until the next time. We'll highlight you later.